Would you pray with me? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, uh, my sister and I, my older sister and I, we went to college about two hours south of here in Bolivar, Missouri. And we enjoyed college, but we also really liked coming home. And so maybe if our schedules would allow, two, three times a month, maybe more once or twice a month, we would make the trek back up here to spend time with our parents. And I can remember coming up Highway 54, and when we would get near to town, we'd see the sign that said, Entering Jefferson City. And I would do a little drum roll on the dashboard of my sister's little red geoprism, and when we crossed the boundary line, I'd have a dramatic finish. Yes. I was as cool and rebellious in college as you expected me to be. <laughs> home. home. We loved coming home. We loved this city. We loved our family. Home was where we had so many shared experiences and memories and good times. Home was community in every sense of the word. Maybe you guys have a place or a people that are that for you. Maybe a people in which you feel we can go there to renew or to restore yourself, to be who you really are. A, a people that you feel safe with and loved and known. A place that is a place where you know you are always welcomed. I remember my dad telling about when he was little, maybe six or seven years old, when he would get upset with his mom, he would run away from home. Now, where would a six or seven year, little, year old boy go? To his grandma's house, a block down through the alley. And so when little Roger was headed out, his mom would get on the phone and call her mom and say, be on the lookout, little Roger's headed your way. And grandma would be on the back steps to welcome him or on the porch, and he'd come in, and she probably had milk and sugar cookies, and uh, he was welcome safe. And my dad, you know, for, for him, Grandma Weaver's house was this safe place. And it wasn't just the place, the structure, the architecture. It was the person that was there that loved him, that made him feel safe and special. At our Monday Thursday service this year, one of our members, Keith Enloe, wrote and performed a powerful monologue that took place in the upper room, the term given to where Jesus shared his last meal with his closest disciples. And the play was from this perspective of the innkeeper who made room there because Jesus had made plans for it. Jesus had called ahead. He had made reservations not only for this room but for the Passover meal to be ready to go so he could share these final sacred hours with these disciples. And according to scripture and most scholars, this room is not just the location of the Last Supper where Jesus washed feet and where he gave this final or last discourse. This room was also the place in which the disciples gathered in those days and hours after the crucifixion when they were scared and worried about what had happened, what might happen to them. This room was the room in which Jesus appeared twice to his disciples, the risen Jesus. This room is the setting of our text today where the disciples go to wait as Jesus has told them to do. And it will be the setting next Sunday as we talk about the arrival of the Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. You see, that upper room was like a home base. 
It was a physical place where they had learned things about themselves as well as God's kingdom. It was a people in which they'd gathered to remember who they were, where they came from, and what they had been called to do now. It was a place where Jesus nourished them, where Jesus taught them, where they encountered Jesus together. And now in our text, it is the place they go to wait, to wait as they were commanded to do. Now, in many Protestant churches and American churches, the ascension of Jesus is not really recognized. It's often overlooked and ignored, but it is an important day. It's actually the 40th day after Easter, which is a Thursday, and it would have been this last Thursday, but churches normally celebrate it on the Sunday after, which would be today, the last Sunday of Easter. Now, this is a, a day where we don't get a day off from work. There's not a special service here at the church on Ascension of Jesus Day. But I guess it's because it's really hard to market that day or capitalize on it, right? I mean, how do you really promote that for people, you know, with Happy Ascension Day? Do you get them a pair of sunglasses in honor of looking up to the sky? Do you get a t-shirt that says, he came, he left, he came again, he left again. <laughs> and all I got was this t-shirt, yeah. But in many places and throughout our church's history, the ascension of Jesus is a very important day. It's an important day in the Christian calendar that brings everything full circle because if you stop at the resurrection, you've stopped too soon. See, God came to us through Jesus incarnate. Jesus taught us about who God is and God's kingdom. Jesus, when he taught, made people upset and mad and it resulted in death crucifixion, burial, resurrection, but also the ascension of Jesus to heaven. Not only is this the reason there's no body of Jesus on earth, but this is testifying to who Jesus is, that Jesus is now and forever seated at the right hand of God, one with God. And Jesus' love and forgiveness and power are not bound by time or place any longer. But they're available to us all, forever, eternally. Now, if anything deserves a holiday, it's that truth, right? Now, according to Luke in the book of Acts, the risen Christ appeared to the disciples for about 40 days after the resurrection. And he used those days to encourage them, to teach them, to remind them everything that he had told them, and also to prepare them for what was coming next. And the disciples, they had an idea. They had a hope of what was next. And they say it in verse 6 with this question, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Have we heard that question from the disciples before? Yes, always. God, is this the time? Now, are you bringing the earthly kingdom? We have waited for hundreds of years as a people for you to do this. This is what we want. We think this is what you want for us, what's best. So now, Lord, is this the time that you're bringing the kingdom? We want our land. We want our freedom. We want our national power again. We're tired of being underfoot from Rome. Restore us. And you know, when we go through times where we are unsure and unclear of what's happening next, we ask similar questions of God. It reveals their longings for their immediate desires and longings to be met. And we go to God with the very same thing in times of confusion, seeking quick answers or some clear roadmap or some easy fix to meet what we long for right now. 
Yet Jesus' response to them and to us is one with deeper understanding. One about trusting God in uncertain times rather than having to have certainty or all the answers. So Jesus responded to the disciples' question with a gentle redirection. He doesn't even really answer it, but he reminds them that it was not them, it was not for them to know this. It was not them to know this. They were to trust God and God's authority with all time and seasons. See, when we don't know what to do, the invitation for, is for us to surrender our control, our need to know everything and to trust that God's timing and perspective is perfect and ours is not. The disciples were asking for far less than God dreamed for them. And we often do the same thing. We place our hope and our faith and our trust in things of this world to meet immediate longings and desires when God has something so much greater for us. And we should be deeply grateful that God loves us in the world enough that he does not allow us to have what we'd settle for. Now, after Jesus ascended to heaven and the angels told the guys to stop gawking up into heaven to get busy, the men and the women, they returned to Jerusalem to wait as instructed. They returned to that upper room, this place with so many memories as a people. And they devote themselves, the scripture says, to prayer. In this time of waiting, they pray. Was there work to do? Yes. Were there good things, kingdom things they could have been doing? Yes. But for this time, this season, Jesus had been very clear that their job was to wait until the Father's promise arrived. Now, could God have sent the Spirit sooner? Absolutely. I mean, Jesus and the Spirit could have passed by each other. I don't know how all that would have worked, but he didn't. God chose specifically a waiting period, a time for them to share in community and discernment together and prayer to wait on God. Henry Nouwen wrote this, waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we hear about him for whom we are waiting. Henry also wrote, a waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. Well, perhaps that really reveals the real problem for us in waiting. Waiting is about patience. It's about trust. It's about trusting that something or someone will reveal itself to us in time. You know, when we're asking now what, and unsure of what to do next in our lives, our default is to start grabbing at whatever soothes the anxiety and fears within us that are created by the unknown. We've all experienced that in life. It's scary to not know what's next, and so we start reaching for anything that makes us feel a little safe, a little secure. We settle because we want that uncomfortable feeling to go away. We want certainty, but what is offered to us is clarity, and they're different. Certainty rests on how and what. We want certainty because it requires us to know the outcome and how every step along the way impacts that outcome. Clarity is a state of mind. 
It allows us to know the next step without knowing every aspect of the outcome. So certainty is designed to avoid uncertainty. Clarity is designed to be with uncertainty. We can't avoid uncertainty in life. It's full of uncertainty. There's so many things that we don't know and we're uncertain about. What God teaches us is how to be with uncertainty and that we don't have to be with it alone. We have the risen and ascended Christ who is not bound any longer by place and time. We have the spirit, the advocate sent to us and we have one another. We have community. Now, when we don't know what to do or we're waiting in life, we sometimes tend to pull away from community and God. It seems to be our default, but that is exactly opposite of what scripture invites us to do. Instead, in times of uncertainty, we lean into God and we lean into community. For the disciples, the men and women, when they were unsure, they returned back to this home base, the upper room, and to this community where they had shared the table, where they had served one another, where they had experienced Christ together. They reflected in the next 10 days on everything Jesus had taught them and what they'd experienced with the crucifixion and the resurrection and now the ascension of Christ to heaven. They were reminded that God's spirit is not something that we control or we possess, but that it's a gift that we wait for. They learned that waiting is not empty, not pointless, but waiting is expectant and purposeful. Waiting can be holy. It was holy for them and it can be holy times for us as well. So what if we reframed waiting from a burdensome gap between the things that are most important to a bountiful gift? What if when we're in the store and we're in a line, we pull, instead of pulling our phone out, past the minutes because we can't not be busy. We see that little waiting period as a gift, not a burden between gaps. You see, waiting in life allows us to see the big picture, to get out of the weeds and to think about where we've been, where we're going. Waiting invites us to take stock of how we're living our days, which make up our years. Waiting allows us to see the gifts of community rather than always going out ahead on our own and alone. To see the power of prayer and gathering together when we need to make decisions. Waiting helps us not settle for what makes us feel calm, but rather makes us lean on the one who gives us true peace. There's a story about Pope John Paul II at his evening prayers after a really challenging day. And someone overheard his prayers and this is what they heard. Lord, this is your church. I'm going to bed. Isn't that nice and comforting and full of grace to think that we can say, Lord, this is your project. This is your family. This is your child. This is your world. I'm going to bed. It doesn't mean that we don't actively pray in word and action for the way that God dreams our world to be. But it means that we, while we actively pray in word and action, we trust the outcomes to God. Now, I've been praying this prayer a lot in the last three months since taking this gig. 
at night, I think about that and I say, Lord, this is your church. I have a million answers I want about certainty here, what's gonna be ahead of us, what we're gonna experience, what to do next. But we are gonna wait on you, God, expectantly and full of faith. So Lord, this is your church. I'm going to bed. Life is filled with moments when we don't know what's next. We don't know what to do. And in those times of confusion, we are asked to turn to God for clarity, not certainty. We trust God's sovereignty. We surrender our need to control or have answers. We rely on the Spirit's presence and power with us. And we devote ourselves to be a community that prays together, united together. And by doing so, we can find peace and hope and confidence knowing that God is with us and that God is leading us on a path even when we don't know where it's going. Jesus' ascension is not the end of the story. Jesus is not gone. Jesus didn't leave us. Jesus didn't tap out when the Spirit came. Instead, Christ reigns now and forever. The risen Christ is still walking this earth like in the Gospels. It's just now occurring through us, the Spirit-empowered believers. And Jesus assured the men and women and us today that we'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit and that will enable us to be his witnesses all around the world. And this same spirit guides and empowers us, First Baptist. And it leads us today and into all of our tomorrows as we give witness to Christ's love and hope everywhere we go. When the disciples gathered in that upper room for those 10 days, they weren't running away. They weren't hiding out from the world. They were gathered to obey Jesus' command to wait. And they were doing what they knew to do while they waited, which was to pray. To pray fervently, it says. They didn't go out looking for some other earthly leader that would give them the kingdom they were hoping and wanting. They didn't get distracted by lesser things and quick fixes for their longings and immediate desires. They didn't go it alone. They prayed intensely as they waited as one community for God to show up. Now perhaps you're going through a season of waiting. And if not, you will. We all experience it at some time where we don't know what to do next. When that happens, I pray and I hope that this is a place that you come to just like Grandma Weaver's house or just like the upper room. That not just a physical place, but that this is a community of people that you come to when you need a community to walk with you, to pray with you, to discern what's next for you, for us as a church, and that you would do the same for us as we journey life together. I hope that this place is a people that you can go to when you need to remember who you are, whose you are, and what you were created to do. A place where you can learn more about yourself and make important life decisions together. That this is a people in which you feel safe and known and loved. That this is a place where we share the table together, where we serve one another, where we learn and encounter Christ together. 
that this is a people who will not settle for earthly kingdoms, but will stay loyal to God's kingdom. That this is a place where we gather in unity and we pray fervently for God's guidance and provision. That this is a people who knows God's spirit cannot be controlled, but rather is a gift to receive, and we pray for that. And that this is a place that doesn't view waiting as empty or pointless, but rather expectant and purposeful. And a people empowered by the Spirit who refuse to be a holy huddle, but go out near and far, empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to Christ's love and hope for all. And may we remember as we are that place and that people that we're never alone. The risen and ascended Christ is with us. The spirit is with us. And we have one another. For the glory of God and the good of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Risen Lord, we give thanks as we proclaim today and each day that all authority in heaven and earth rests upon you. And we give thanks for this community and its faithfulness to be a people through which your kingdom comes to this world as we live out as your witnesses until you come again. God, unite us, your church, that we may pray together with one mind to bring your glory, to advance your kingdom and to do your will. And help us, O oh God, to be a people who wait with ex expectation and with hope surrendering our longings for certainty so we might be free, God, to trust you step by step as you lead us. And we pray this in the name of Christ, who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen.